Welcome back to the Shock Absorber podcast. It is fantastic to have you along with us and always fantastic to have my regular co-host along with me. Tim, you're sitting in a different chair. Oh yeah, well, I got thrown while I walked in the room. Yeah. Got put in the middle. Yep. It's making me a little anxious, but I'm okay. You didn't like playing piggy in the middle when you were younger? I just don't like change. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we can blame Stu because <laughs> Stu was the one. I've got a rhythm and I stick to it and it makes me happy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How are we friends? <laughs> I couldn't be more opposite. Uh, well, this for a while, it's a bit boring. Well, yes, Stu, it was your idea. So, um, Sorry, this podcast isn't a bit boring. I'm saying that if I do something for a long time, I always look for new challenges as mm. well. Yeah. Yes, I'm a bit like that too. Mm. Uh, need a refresh? No, not but at n- the not this podcast. No. no, I love this podcast. <laughs> no, this is unreal. Uh, how are you anyway, Stu? You're I'm really well. good. That's yeah. good. Um, I thought that we could start today because Easter has just been and gone. Mm. Uh, reflections on Easter. Tim, do you want to go first and what, how you felt Easter 2023 was? Yeah, I think for as a church, we had a really excellent Easter. Um, mm. Certainly, uh, I mean, yeah, the first impression is just the, the raw numbers in the room and things looked full um, <laughs> and exciting. And it was um, particularly... I think last Easter there was still a lot of uncertainty with COVID and uh, we weren't that long out of having to finally regroup from uh, lockdowns and distancing and masks and all those kind of questions. And I felt that like a lot of that um, is not on uh, high on people's minds at the moment. And so I did feel back to that, but also fresh in a new way and people are excited. Um, and then looking around the room, other metrics, like, you know, lots of people that I didn't know. Uh, so lots of people had invited friends, which was really exciting and friends and family and people that um, are not regularly connected to churches. And so it was wonderful for them to to be there. Um, I thought it was excellent that um, the word was preached really clearly mm. um, and that the the, the sadness and beauty of Good Friday and then the joy of Resurrection Sunday was really clearly articulated and, and that was really wonderful. Mm. So, yeah, it was, I had a really joyful uh, weekend and, um, yeah, it was really, really excellent. Loved yeah, it. I mean, it's always really fun. We have a Good Friday combined service here at Kirawee. Yep. But then on Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we uh, have uh, go down to the river at Swallow Rock down at a place in Grace Point, which is borders of the National Park and it's really mm. lovely. And we have, um, after the service, we have baptisms. Yep. And it's always a really, really special. I know that my kids, for example, mm-hmm. really enjoy that. I was going to ask you, though, uh, if you do, we have um, at Kirawee on Saturday night and ride as well. We had yep. church as well and you preached. I did, yeah. So, um, one thing I wanted to ask you, if you wanted to elaborate on mm. it a little bit more, is you talked about a, the idea of a counter story in your sermon. Oh, yeah. And how that illustrated something that you were trying to get across. Can you, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah, so this is, um, I've been reading a book called Biblical Critical Theory by Christopher Watkins, um, which does a great job of, of trying to build up um, from sort of the scripture upwards a social, a Christian social theory. Um, And so uh, he is basically trying to tell this, uh, he describes it as a counter story. Um, And he says, that's what we live out as Christians. So the the world that we live in has a number of different stories that it tells. Um, One of the ones that uh, is prominent and I'd used in my sermon on Saturday night was uh, the story of capitalism. So capitalism um, has a number of different parts to its story, but um, some key parts to the capitalism story is that you need to keep improving, you need to keep getting better, and the things, whatever you have now is fine but not enough. Um, and there's a constant, there's an insatiability to 
um, capitalism that, uh, you know, oh, you've got the, the new iPhone, whatever number we're up to. That's wonderful for at least nine months, but then you should be getting excited for the next one and then you should be getting excited for the next one. And it's the same with clothes, TV shows, whatever it is. There's always something new to consume. Um, there's always something new to buy into. And um, the, the, the whole grand story of capitalism and consumerism uh, is based on the, the uh, telling you that you will never be satisfied um, so that there's always something else to get you to buy into. Um, and so Christopher Watkins uh, does a great job of sort of saying, okay, well, there's, there's that story and it, it just is, but how does the Christian counter story compare to that and how do we who are seeking to live the Christian story live um, against that story? And one of the things is that... Um, Capitalism uh, has this, um, it, it, it's cyclical in that it's always coming back and back and back to never being satisfied, but it's also a story of onward progression because you don't, you can't come back to the same thing, you've got to come back to something new and then go on to something new and then go on to something new. Mm-hmm. And Watkins talks about how the Christian story in some sense is similar in that there should be, uh, we should never be satisfied with where we are as Christians, but the instead of going on to a new thing and a next thing that isn't, we don't yet know what it is, he says the answer, according to the Christian story, is we keep circling back to the same thing, which is to Jesus and his church. And as we continue to cycle back into Jesus and his church, we grow, we don't go to new thing, to new thing, to new thing. We actually go deeper into the same thing, deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, and, and that plays itself out in all, all sorts of different ways. Um, but that was the main thing about the counter story. And there's lots of other stories. We could talk about the activist story. Um, something I haven't yet thought about for maybe this week when I'm preaching is, because um, uh, we are talking about salt and light this week and the idea that Christians are to make a difference in a world that seems to be decaying. Um, and again, some of the other stories that are out there, the people who are noticing the world is in decay, um, and then what is the next thing? And you've got the transhumanist kind of movement is, well, if the world is decaying, the best thing to do is to incorporate technology into ourselves and make us better so that we can actually progress mm-hmm. further. Maybe that's the answer to a world that's in decay. Um, you've got another really pessimistic story, which is, well, humans have made the earth really terrible, and so the best thing to do is actually help aid humans towards extinction because then the natural environment will become a better mm. um, world. And so you've got people who are, um, what's the phrase, anti-natalists. So basically oh. don't have kids, consciously don't have kids. I've heard about that movement. Yeah, yeah. Um, because the simple act of bringing a child into this world is a destructive act. So that's their answer to a world that seems to be in decay and, and falling apart. Mm. Well, maybe the best thing we can do is to actually aid our species into extinction. Um, and so, again, Christianity provides a counter story. Um, a, a story that actually says, no, 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 there's something beautiful um, and redeemable and the whole creation for redemption, new creation, which is the whole kind of meta story, uh, allows us to be salt and light. So that's, anyway, I don't know if I'll get into transhumanism on the weekend. <laughs> okay, we'll wait and right. see. Um, but they're the kind of ideas that he's talking about. Yeah. And um, it's the kind of nerdy social theory theology that I get really excited about. So, right. yeah, I tried to communicate that on Saturday night without getting too nerdy <laughs> bring it down yeah. so that people don't get lost yeah. and Stu, you went actually there for um tim sermon so i was wondering if you got any reaction to what 
uh, Tim saying, but and then we can talk about why you weren't there because you're actually in a different location for Easter. <laughs> so, any thoughts on what Tim Tim was saying then just then? Because we kind of went on a bit of a tangent. And that's my fault because I asked you about the kind of story. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that no, sounds interesting. I think there are a number of stories that as Christians we're seeking to work out how to engage with, and I think there is an activist story. There's the uh, consumerism story. There's the um, yeah, I've I've talked with people who have got that opinion that we need to not necessarily go extinct, but depopulate the earth. Yeah. I've talked with people who believe in that. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting when you look at the Christian message, it is different to all the different stories. Uh, I think sometimes people, as we've said in earlier podcasts, seek to syncretize Christianity with a particular political position. And I think that in the end gets people into a bit of strife. Uh, but it is a really interesting discussion point about how do we engage with politics and different ideas and I think I think the thing that came to my mind when you were talking Tim is that uh, the work of Alan Terrain in the 70s was talking about the fact that political differences uh, during the modern era have been defined by economic differences so particularly with the works of Karl Marx and others like that there's this sense of the proletariat versus the bourgeoisie the owners of production versus the, the, the people who are working in the factories, uh, the proletariat. Uh, but in the 70s, he saw that, actually during the 60s, he saw that there was a new social movement uh, going on where ideas were now, how people were defi- defining themselves as different to each other. And he was noticing that during the civil rights movements and all the different movements in the 1960s, there was this like battle of ideas, I suppose. So, yeah, my view is that over the last... So, you know, since then, we've had this battle of ideas. And it's really interesting to look at traditional political parties, for example, like the Liberal Party and the Labor Party in Australia, where they were traditionally set up along economic lines. Liberals tended to represent um, the, the, uh, the, I suppose, the owners of production often, and the workers were represented by the Labor Party. But now both parties are trying to find their soul as these new ideas are swirling around um, people are talking a lot about words new words like political correctness and uh, woke issues and all these other different words that are being used now to describe different kinds of categories of uh, political categories and uh, there's a lot of debate on the internet on uh, social media and on youtube about particular views that different politicians hold where once upon a time it was pretty easy to say that there was you know, two parties in Australia, you know, there's, there's been always been some other parties, two minor parties, but two major parties defined by economics. But now ideas is where it's at. That idea, the marketplace of ideas is where a lot of people are discussing what's, what's going on. I think the other thing I would think is that there's been a bit of a vacuum created by the end of Christendom. I think now that Christianity is not the mega narrative that underlies a lot of those other... Mm ideas now there's almost i think from my point of view i see it as a battle of ideas where people are trying to fill that space and uh, i think it's going to play out over the next few decades i think i don't think it's going to take uh it's going to take a little while to work through yeah Mm. uh your reflections on easter though because you were 10 hours from Mm. from where we were having easter uh do you want to talk about that you went to well some of our viewers and listeners will know that we're very good friends with the church in brewerina and uh, my very good friend, Isaac Gordon, is an Aboriginal pastor out in Brewarna. And 
he and his wife Eileen have been friends of mine and Louise's and our church for a long time. Uh, we met them in the early 2000s and we've been friends for a long time. And we had the privilege of um, being invited by Isaac to help him to start back up a, a, a ministry that's called the River Convention out in western, northwestern New South Wales. Uh, Brewarrina, the town that Isaac comes from, uh, is is about ten hours drive from Sydney, northwest. And uh, Isaac is a Neambar man, and uh, Eileen is a Camilleroy lady, and those two tribes kind of intersect at Brewarrina. There's uh, the a very old fish traps on the river there, the Barwon River, and uh, archaeologists actually estimate that the Barwon River fish traps at Brewarrina. Uh, even older than the pyramids, so they're very old construction. Goodness, wow! And uh, so we went up there, and yeah, t- twenty years ago we helped to start up the River Convention. It's been going ever since, and today it's quite a big show. Um, we went to Brewarrina. There was an easy three, four hundred people attended over the weekend. We had a lot of what's called open airs, open air church, where we gather outside, uh, set up, and the community could hear the message and hear the singing, and we'd sing and have a message and. <coughs> Excuse me. Different people would get up and share. Um, it was a really lovely time of fellowship. We'd sit around really late into the night around a fire, yarning and talking about stuff. And so about thirty of us from Sorrow Revival in Sydney went up there, and I had the privilege of speaking on Good Friday morning and Easter morning. So that was a real lovely privilege. The first talk was actually on the Barwon River, and the second talk was at the rugby league field at Rawarana. So, yeah, so the River Convention's continuing on now over the next two weeks. They're going to visit a number of different towns there at Gadooga at the moment and they're going to go to Lightning Ridge and some other towns and end up in Dubbo at the end of a two-week period. So there's going to be a lot of fellowship and mission take place at the River Convention this year, yeah. And they hold more River Conventions throughout the year as well, don't they? they yeah, yeah. Holidays? So we're going we're gonna to see if we can send a team up to Collie Inabri in the long weekend, June long weekend, and uh, I was going to call it the Queen's birthday long weekend, oh, but it's no longer more. called that probably. Mm. Uh, the Yeah, then we, we've been invited to go to Doomagee this year too, which is in North Queensland. They're going to have a convention, so we're going to probably send a team up to Doomagee as well. Yeah, right. That's cool. Very and cool. And what, what do you think, uh, I, I feel like when you always come back, there's always something you've learned. Is there one thing that you learned from this, this year? Yeah, well, many years ago, Isaac, and I talked about reconciliation, and Isaac's view of reconciliation is very biblical. It's um, Isaac's an evangelical pastor, and uh, he definitely is inspired and encouraged to express the reconciliation that Jesus has won for us on the cross. So that in Ephesians, Paul talks about the fact that we've been reconciled to God and we've been reconciled to each other through his death on the cross and his resurrection. And so Isaac talks about the fact that we are brothers and sisters as Christians, even though there's been um, uh, a lot of wrong done in the past, uh, white Australians have uh, caused a great deal of uh, harm to Aboriginal people in the Northwest. Um, actually, last weekend we heard a story told by Bradley Gordon, who is the uh, one of the people who works at the local museum in Brewarrina, and he was telling us about the Hospital Creek massacre that took place 150 years ago. Uh, 1859 I think it was and uh, that's an example of one of the massacres that's taken place in Australia uh, post white settlement. Um, It was a very sad story where a white man 
went missing and so the people in the area thought that it was the Aboriginal people, uh, the local tribe who'd killed the man and so they went after that tribe and said we're going to kill people one by one until you tell us who killed the white man and no one had killed the white man so they killed 400 people mm. including smashing people with rocks and uh, throwing children against trees and all sorts of horrible things. There was only four people left in the tribe after they'd finished. Um, and so the really sad part of that is uh, there's only one descendant left from that tribe and she's got no children, so she's living with the sadness of knowing that she's the last of her tribe. Mm. And she comes from the northwest in New South Wales. And, um, yeah, the, the Hospital Creek Massacre, the, the reality was that two weeks after the massacre... Uh, or thereabouts, the guy who went missing walked out of the bush and told everybody that he'd been lost and he couldn't find his way back and so they killed all those people for nothing. So that sort of pain and that sort of terrible torment has been added to with things like the stolen generation and mm. other terrible sad things. So yeah, there's a lot of a lot to say sorry for and our Prime Minister said sorry for for the stolen generation a few years ago but um as bradley told us on the weekend no one's apologized to the aboriginal people for classifying them as flora and fauna yet but um that's uh in his opinion something that needs to be talked about so there's a lot still to talk about but the amazing thing that isaac gordon talks about is that incredible forgiveness from isaac uh of the fact that we are, are reconciled through christ through his death and on the cross he's died for sin and so we can actually be reconciled together so he talks about a black and white handshake yeah. so the big thing that stood out to me last weekend was how expressing a black and white handshake in other words coming together as friends getting to know each other not just talking about each other's groups from a distance but actually getting to know each other and having friends from both communities coming together on the weekend was very powerful witness of the power of Jesus and the love of Jesus and so we were just one family despite all the things that have happened in the past we have things that we need to work on in Australia still but I think the Christian church um, according to Isaac has the answer for reconciliation which is Jesus so it was terrific to proclaim his name on the weekend mm. and talk about the victory he's had over sin and death and that um, we can actually move forward together as a family of Christ and so we were yeah, we really enjoyed doing that. And I remember also when we had Michael Duckett from MacArthur Indigenous Church, he said exactly the same thing. So it's it's really encouraging to hear those conversations. And I think, yeah, it's something worth continuing to talk about, especially when uh, with our um, Indigenous brothers and sisters, they're really helpful helpful in helping us think about that, I think. So that was, that's really cool. I mean, and um, yeah, it can see the impact that it has on you, Stuart, especially because you've been up there so so, so often. So yeah. that's really cool. Um, if we move we move on to the rest of the episode, uh, we've been teasing this tweet that we've been talking about for quite a while because we were going to do it at the end of the first episode and then unfortunately you weren't able to make it, so we just did one with Ethan. But um, Stuart, there was a tweet you sent out on uh, last year in December which said, ministry is not about solving one problem at a time. It is about moving from one gospel opportunity to another. And I thought that was really fascinating, so I screenshot it and put it put it in our uh, kind of semi-run sheet that we put together. So I was interested, like, what um, made you tweet that out? And then why, why do you think that's a cool thing? I, I think that's a cool thing. That's a cool thing to talk about. I think. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's good. I, I think there's a lot, well, I'd be interested in your thoughts too, but I, what what occurred to me when I put that out was that that uh, there are a lot of problems that 
that we deal with day to day as Christians, and there are also uh, a lot of problems that we have in the church and in the structures, and even in organising great things like gatherings each weekend, we'll come up against problems day by day, week by week. Uh, I think there's kind of two kind of problems. One kind of problem is what I would call a really um, bad problem. That is that the that we sometimes have problems in our life that are result of sin, and uh, that there's uh, that sort of problem that we need to solve. So that's a sad problem to have. But there's actually another kind of problem, which is what I'd like to call a gospel problem. And those problems come about when we see the effects of the gospel have brought change and growth and as a result problems come along from that you see a gospel problem in acts as the early church grows so quickly and the gentile widows come to the disciples and say that they're not getting enough of the allocation that the jewish widows are getting more allocation uh, of food and blankets and etc and the, the gentile women are missing out and on one one level that is a really hard problem but it's actually a good problem to have because now the Gentiles have actually been grafted in as wild olive branches into the the olive tree and now they're part of the people of God for the first time and the early church has to adapt to that. They have to actually go, oh, it's not just the Jews as the people of God anymore, we've got all these Gentile people too. And so they solve that problem with uh, a terrific framework. Uh, I think you see them seeing it as an opportunity to raise up more people into ministry. So rather than seeing that problem as a problem that they have to solve, they see it as an opportunity to grow the leadership team and as a result they appoint new uh, leaders to help make sure that the allocation is fair and even amongst the Gentiles and the Jewish widows. So that that's that's kind of my framework in the back of my mind as I tweeted. But I think that what, what we have in Christ is we have victory over sin and what we have in Christ is we also have um, this wonderful opportunity to see that the opportunity to partner with Jesus as he grows his church. So we don't build the church, we don't grow the church, Jesus grows it. So as problems emerge, particularly gospel problems, I think it's a good framework to have to go, oh, this is this is an opportunity to either, uh, to either move forward in a more godly way. Uh, for example, the problem of um, the stolen generation, um, the opportunity there is to see that that was wrong and to apologise and to uh, to talk with our Aboriginal brothers and sisters about what the impact of that problem has been on them and, and work together to uh, move forward. Uh, one of the things that I've really had a great privilege of doing with Isaac is that as I've worked with Isaac out in Western New South Wales, I've come in under his leadership and that's been an amazing opportunity to express reconciliation with him. So the outcome of realising the wrongs of the past has been for me to come to him and ask him how can I or could he lead me forward in, in the relationship and he's been really excited to do that. So that's been a terrific journey and an opportunity that has been uh, abundant in fruit. So with gospel problems, I think what can happen sometimes is we can get tired as Christians or parents or spouses or friends we we can get tired of same problems that come up all the time or the the um you know the a difficulty in relationship but in that what's the opportunity for gospel growth what's the opportunity for the gospel in that situation and sometimes it's to walk away from a bad situation or to get out of a bad situation or to get help but there's always an opportunity for growth as um james says in um his letter he talks about the fact that um 
we've been refined by suffering and we we're actually growing as Christians because God is always uh, going to be going before us. We have the Holy Spirit present with us. We're never alone. And as a result, I think we can see problems as opportunities. What's the opportunity for the gospel here? How can I grow as a person? How can I help someone else grow as a person? How can we move forward to have a better expression of church to uh, keep growing? What do you define as a gospel problem? So what would like, is there like an example? Yeah, well, a gospel problem is that one of the widow's allocation. Yeah, sorry, that so was a good That example. was that wasn't. Uh, but what's another op- another option? Okay, so not having enough food. Like if yeah. we do dinners, for example. Yeah, yeah, not food. yeah. Running out of food. Sometimes people see that as a problem, yeah. and they go from one problem to the next. So sometimes we run out of food, and people get upset because I didn't get food, or some people get upset because if you'd have told me how many people were coming, then we might have been able to cater for more. And there's always. You can always do better in those sorts of things. But another way of looking at it is this is actually an opportunity to to um, to work together to try and solve this problem. Mm. It means that we're going to build stronger teamwork and we're going to move forward and come up with better ideas. And is it likely more people coming to church, for example? And, and at the baseline, the reason it's a gospel problem is we have the problem in the first place because there's yeah. more people coming. So we've grown. So the gro- But it's easy to forget the good thing and move straight to the problem fixing and we just go from problem to problem to problem instead of praising God for the growth of the church and thanking him and then trying to work out mm. how so we can do it better. So it's coming out of more of an idea of thankfulness. And generosity. And generosity. Yeah. Yeah. And then we yeah. to see that as a, a almost like a good problem yep. and like oh, this, this is a good scenario yeah, yeah. that we can use for a positive outcome yeah another good example is our Yarrawarra gathering at Yarrawarra has started with eight people a, a very bold move by eight Christian brothers and sisters to plant a church together with eight people and uh, they started that church it's grown to about 20 25 people and some people have moved on some people have stayed but the initial uh, object of that church plant was to we were talking about the fact that we were going to celebrate all the people who came to know Jesus through that church plant not celebrate the start of a new church and that we were also going to try and start a church for people who didn't go to church now that sounds great in theory but in practice what's happened is we now have approximately 18 people in the church who are Christians and any one week between 20 and 30 non-Christian people coming along each week to the church so that's put a lot of stress and pressure on those 18 people and i think it's easy to get into a mindset of going from week to week as solving problems like there's not enough of us to set up there's not enough of us to cook there's not enough kids ministry there's no teenagers that you know we need we need to fix this problem and i think that's not a fun way to live a, a more exciting way to live is go praise the lord like our prayers have been answered that we've got 20 people who aren't christians coming every week to hear uh, and meet with us and um, not all those people are even going into the service yet they're coming to the to the caravan getting a coffee sitting down having gospel conversations with people though so that's a really wonderful thing so what I find is that if 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 a team particularly a team in a church plant gets into a point where they're seeing the problems every week that are starting to get them down a bit it's a really good idea to be looking for what God's doing that's caused that problem and it's a good problem to have because we've got more non-Christians than we have Christians in the in the gathering each week so well coming to the to the Yarrawarra gathering so what we need to think about is yeah we need to solve that problem can we get some more Christians to go along and help or you know we're talking that through at the moment yeah. but I think the way we approach the problem is to see it as a as an opportunity not as a problem 
Yeah, I think that's a cool way to look at it. What do you think, Tim, seeing as gospel supposedly problems as rather as opportunities? Yeah, I think it's a really helpful and healthy framework to start looking at things through. And it, um, if you, you know, go back to the, the big Christian meta story of you know, creation, fall, redemption, new creation, the whole idea of um, like fall says, yeah, there are actual real problems uh, in the world. Mm. Um, and they could be really horrific, tragic things like the, you know, the, the indigenous massacres and um, you know, the stolen generation, things like that. Or they can just be mild frustrations from living in a finite universe like, oh, we ran out of food this week or there's not enough leaders here or we don't have enough space and you know, texts for the kids or whatever it is. Like, so there's a whole range of things where our lived experience can let us down from the trivial to the tragic. Um, but the, the idea of uh, redemption, um, which obviously is, is grounded in you know, the death and resurrection of Jesus over Easter, but it also gives us a framework to think through all of those things as um, e- each of those um, things that we come up against can also be redeemed. Um, and so it sets us up with a framework that says actually the Christian story, living the counter story, is actually living as if every... Um, frustration um, or every evil uh, can be redeemed in some way, can actually be brought into a gospel framework. And so it's a really healthy way to be addressing problems and, and shortcomings, and particularly when we're talking about church planning uh, and the, the different things that we come up across there, thinking, oh, here's an opportunity uh, to, to grow. Here's an opportunity for, you know, maybe it's the team members to learn a new skill. Maybe it's for someone to step into a ministry that they're not familiar with um, because there's a, um, you know, we, this particular group of church planners happens to have six guitarists in it. We only need two, um, but we need a whole lot of people for the kids team. Um, and, you know, there's an opportunity there for, you know, these wonderful a gifted guitarists to say, that's okay. Like maybe I'll, I've never taught uh, a seven-year-old about Jesus before, but I'm willing to give it a crack. Um, through song. Through song, there we go. <laughs> like, they, yeah, I think creatively there's lots of different ways that we can, those kinds of things. And so, um, yeah, I think it's a really healthy way to be addressing problems. Um, one of the things I struggle with, uh, just this is my own personality and done a number of those personality tests that helps bring out things about yourself. But our, um, our warden, Leone, did uh, one sort of testing with us at one point because that's her jam. Um, and she said, oh, one of the things you need to know about yourself, Tim, is that if you, you're the kind of person, if you get 95% in a test, uh, your immediate reaction is to wonder where the 5% went. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, that's good. Like there is, there's, again, it, you're looking for opportunities to grow. So I don't actually, I don't, uh, look down on myself for that like oh my goodness I'm, I'm such I'm so awful I this down five percent but I immediately go to a critical assessment of oh okay wh- where did I go wrong and um and Leonie said to me one of the things you have to realize Tim is that when you lead others um and lead teams and when you communicate you need to make sure you spend a lot of time celebrating the 95 um because there'll be other people who uh when you start going, right, now what did we go wrong there? Why didn't we get 5%? Um, What's this guy's problem? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. They go, oh, he's so, like, he just brings down the tone of the whole conversation. Um, I don't, my, I don't, emotionally I'm not like that. I'm not getting down about it, but I'm just immediately jumping to critical. Um, and so I need to make sure I keep that in check when we have these conversations and I help our team, uh, whether it's, you know, the team that I'm part of as a staff team or whether the team I'm leading in kids ministry that we help celebrate and just go this is awesome how good is this and i sent an email uh just earlier this morning to all the uh kids leaders and i said hey here's 
here's a dot point of the amazing term that we've had. But nice. they're, they're the kind of conscious things that I've got to really intentionally build in mm. to my communication because, mm. like, yeah, let's celebrate these things because they're awesome. Mm. Um, yeah, so, yeah. But I, I definitely a healthy way to address problems. In talking about uh, children's ministry, is it, can you think of like a particular example where something's been seen as a problem but then you've turned it, like even changed the mindset into turning into an opportunity? Oh, and we've got a very real problem at the moment um, with one of our gatherings particularly uh, that we have too many children for the space that's right. available. Yep. Um, and so we, you know, like every church, we're limited by our physical surroundings, our geography that we have. Uh, we have a particularly particular geography here in using a factory and basically what would otherwise be office spaces for our kids' programs. Um, and... Uh, where other churches might have large Sunday school halls or outside grass spaces and all sorts of things like that. Um, we don't have those spaces. We make use of other different types of spaces. Um, and so for one of our gatherings, it's, uh, oh, we're outgrowing these spaces. We need some creative solutions here to think about how we can, can we reduce the number of kids by uh, moving some of our families to other gatherings or by splitting up the spaces or by changing our schedule of timing or, you know, there's lots of options there, raising more leaders so we can break that group into more smaller groups. We have other gatherings where the problem is that we don't have a stickiness of kids' ministry um, because there's not um, a large enough kids' ministry for families to come to and go, oh, here's, here's something exciting that I want to be a part of. So they might come to one of our gatherings and go, oh, have you guys got kids' ministry? Well, we do. We've got leaders here. We've got a chill set up. Here's our philosophy of children's ministry. We also have all age, all stage. Here's our vision for what we want to achieve. Um, and they go, yeah, but you've actually, and there's only two other children here, aren't there? Well, yeah, at the moment there is. But if you guys stay and these guys stay and these guys stay, we'd actually have 10. Go, oh, yeah, okay, but maybe I'll move. And, th and that's one of the challenges that we've had as well, which, which has contributed to the first challenge is that people then gravitate to the gathering that looks like it's pumping. Um, and so the pumping one is you know, over, um, oversubscribed. <laughs> Some other gatherings are undersubscribed. Um, and so that's one of those challenges where it's like, okay, well, what are the positive gospel? And again, it's a gospel problem. And it's beautiful. We have so many children connected to Soul Revival Church mm. um, and, children who enjoy being here, who feel their, a deep sense of belonging to the church, who are growing in their knowledge and love of Jesus, who are getting to know the intergenerational family that we have here. It's a wonderful thing. Um, and then there are some frustrations in the physical spaces that we have in order to actually do that to the best of our ability. But as you said, either oversubscribed or undersubscribed, they're still good problems. They're great have, problems to have, yeah. There's, uh, where there's maybe not as many as we'd like, there's an opportunity there to grow that ministry and where there's an opportunity that's really thriving. <laughs> so, well, like, we've got lots of kids hearing about Jesus. Like, uh, uh, yeah. I can un totally understand that. And it's a bit like the Acts story. Like, yeah, they had, they had so many widows that it became a problem of who was getting fed when. Mm. Um, we, we've got so many people coming to a couple of our gatherings that we just don't have enough spaces for everyone so how do we how do we best serve everyone and it, um, hope, again when you look at it with a really healthy gospel opportunity it, it uh, generates you know positive outcomes mm. that, that's what we're working through right now yeah and I think like as you've talked about Stu as well it's it's good to have the leadership team seeing it that way as well because then it, that obviously flows through hopefully for the rest of the church or as much as possible so mm. it makes a lot of sense to keep talking about it as as you tweeted so <laughs> it's a good discussion point um the next one I wanted to bring up to you though is something that Ethan and I talked about was a writer called David Perel 
who I like, I enjoy reading. Um, he did a uh, he did an annual review of 2022, and then he actually in that link to a, a an article called 28 Pieces of Life Advice that he wrote. And so there was a couple of good ones. I'll fly over there quickly because we, we talked about last episode, but like nothing good happens between the hours of 1am and 4am, go home, which I thought was, was kind of interesting. But then Ethan and I talked about, well, sometimes it actually does when you have like these interesting conversations and fun fun stuff that we end up doing. And my favourite one um, of his kind of uh, non-religion-based uh, ones that we're talking about he said, remember the hotel bathroom principle. When, whenever I'm in a city use, and I want to use the bathroom, just walk into a fancy hotel. Just make sure you dress well enough and walk confidently and they won't hassle you. So <laughs> I thought that was a pretty you good idea. you use that one? Uh, I think I'm going to. Uh, whenever I'm in a foreign city <laughs> next time, I, I will think about it. Because, um, you know, like when you, when you have been overseas or if, if you've been lucky to go overseas, you're like, you don't know where anything is. So then, and I'm also just not a fan of public bathrooms, so, so I think that's a great great idea. Um, hopefully I'm dressed well enough to go walk into a five-star hotel. Um, but there is one that he talked about. He's a non-Christian, but he, he has been studying religion a fair bit, which is quite interesting. And he says that religion is core to the human experience, but the way contemporary elites and academics dismiss it is a major blind spot. Don't just read about religion, experience it for yourself, even if you're a non-believer, and even attend religious surfers, services from all walks of faith. Religious surfaces. Surfaces. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Altars, pews. <coughs> yeah, um, yeah you, you could try different services. Uh, I don't know what that would include, but services, as we were, as I was saying, what do you, what's your reaction to that? I mean, religion is core of the human experience. I think there's a lot to talk about. Something that we talked about in the evangelism series was that everyone, even if people don't identify with being Christian, they're still very spiritual. What do you reckon, Stu? I think we've been made in the image of God and we've been made to have a relationship with God. And in our sin, we rebel against him. And some people have taken that rebellion to such an extent that they say he doesn't even exist. So rather than just raging against God, they've uh, dismissed him as a fantasy and as a fable. But I don't think we can deny our humanness because part of our humanness is that we've been made to have a relationship with God. And so you were talking before, Tim, about uh, people who promote all sorts of different solutions to the problems in this world. Mm. But whether they be capitalistic or, or communist answers or socialist answers, there's, there's a lot of flawed arguments out there coming back to that ideas stuff we we're talking about because... Um, first of all, with capitalism, you can't actually be filled by just getting more and more things. So there's a lot of people in our society uh, in Australia where we live where people are just trying to get the next thing, you know, get the next whatever experience it is or or the, uh, you know, the next cool thing or what, hoping that it will fill them. But it just feeds that uh, narrative of capitalism, which is you're never satisfied, so you need to keep looking for the next thing because you're actually not looking at the source for satisfaction. You're looking at something that's never going to give you satisfaction. Mm. It's quite a hollow way to live, really, a uh, materialistic mindset that everything that is worthwhile is materialistic and that money is a measure of who we are. Uh, but on the other hand, the, the socialist worldview, I mentioned Karl Marx before, is that utopian idea that if... Uh, like um, some people think, some people argue that unlike what the Bible teaches, that we have uh, this problem called original sin. The, the problem for the Marxist 
theory is that the idea is that it's a corrupted system of capitalism that's corrupted people and they're not actually born corrupt and sinful and they're actually good and then they're con- corrupted by the system that they live in. So let's change the system and fix the corruption. So education will actually educate bad things out of people and even if you're not a communist or a socialist, there's a lot of people are very big about, well, if we have the a good education system and we teach the right stuff and we get rid of all the unhelpful thoughts in the system, then it'll create good citizens. You know, the problem with communism is, yeah, you can take all the individuals and take all their individual wealth off them and pool it and give it to the group. But that relies on what Marx says, where he says that he wants people in the new system to give what they can and take what they need. But that denies human sinfulness and the corruption of the human heart. And so there's this utopian idea that if we change the system and then people just all take what they need. But that's not true because people are greedy. One of the Ten Commandments is do not covet your neighbour's donkey. And um, so as a result, you know, I think that's a lot more realistic uh, worldview. And the answer to that problem of covetousness or greed is actually... Uh, to have uh, to hear the gospel and to hear that Jesus says in Mark chapter 1 verse 14 following I've come to bring a new kingdom this new kingdom is based on the fact that we are to believe in Jesus and believe in him and repent of our sin so repenting of sin and coming to Christ and being forgiven for our sin because he's paid for all the wrong on the cross is a spiritual reality and for me I think that People can deny that spiritual reality all they like, but there is a a need in the human heart to be right with their God. But we are actually at enmity with our God and we can only have peace with God through Jesus. So I think what I'm getting a nuance of from that writer is a non-Christian guy is going, I can kind of sense that there's something good going on over there Mm. and maybe we need to go and be in religious places. I suppose that's a first step towards at least admitting that there's more need than just materialism. But it still sounds like he's got a long way to go to find Jesus because actually having a relationship with Jesus is not religion. Religion is a system of rules that people follow to, again, try and achieve the same outcome as consumerism. If I fast and I have these holidays and I'm a good person and I give to the poor and I do all these things, then God will look at me and say, you're a good person. But the Bible teaches us that none of us are good, only Jesus is good. And so we can't make good the wrong we've done and we need to be forgiven for that. So I think he he's, um, he's one of those people that are writing into our culture that sound quite interesting because not many people are looking towards spirituality and faith anymore. So when a non-Christian person does it, and I'm thinking of... You know, the guy who wrote Dominion, what's his name, Tom Tim? Holland. Tom, Holland. Tom Holland, who's on that podcast, The Rest is History. Yep. Really, really good podcast. I really enjoy yeah. it. He's kind of a bit like that too. He sort of like sees the value in Christianity, and but he hasn't quite got there yet to see the source of it. So I think I think that's where, yeah, I think that's where it's interesting. I mean, I think it's great. Like if people read that sort of stuff and go, well, I might go and check out church on the mm. weekend, that's a good thing. Mm. So Yeah, I agree. Mm. Uh, Tim, any thoughts on that? Or I'm going to bring up friendship in a second again, just because that is a bit of a bit of a theme at the moment. But just before we do that, yeah, I think um, as you said, there's that because we are made in the image of God, there is that draw towards God, and um, so that striving for 
religious spiritual connection uh, is inbuilt in us. Now it's a, a God-given um, thing, and so people will try and fill that in lots of different ways. Um, my thought as I'm listening to, or reading the quote and, um, is, again, I'm just thinking about salt and light for the weekend's sermon and that idea that um, when we are living as Christians as we ought to live, we are being a preservative on the world and that we're shining out uh, the light and people will be attracted to that and they'll actually see value in that. And a lot of the anti-Christian um, writing that we've seen over the last few decades uh, has come out of you know um, situations where the church has done things wrong or people have experienced personal abuse or they've been able to un- not able to reconcile um, particular claims of the scriptures with claims that they see elsewhere, um, whether relationally or scientifically or whatever it is. Uh, and so there's been a lot about um, writing off Christianity and, and you know, in the West, uh, religion largely has been Christianity and so writing off religion. And so it's interesting to see this draw back to, oh, I wonder if this has got something to it or if mm. it is useful in some way. And um, I mean, Jordan Peterson's another one who's made a name made a big name for himself in the last five or so years. And he uh, has played around with this idea of uh, Christianity, religion in general being uh, psychologically useful. Um, and so there is there is value, there's a utility there. Um, and I, there's an important sense where that is true and right, um, because if something is, something is uh, in and of itself true, then of course it is going to be useful. Uh, and that's part of the createdness of the Christian story. Um, but we don't want to only communicate uh, the usefulness um, of the gospel. Um, the gospel yeah. is also... A transformative effect. It's, it's transformative. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's good. It's, um, and ultimately it is true. And so, yeah, this, this quote, you know, just go and experience something religious. It doesn't really matter what because truth yeah. is irrelevant. Yeah. As long as you get something psychologically useful out of it, We'd want to say, oh, well, that might be an interesting first step. And as she said, it'd be lovely if someone walked in the door of a church this weekend because they'd heard that religion is somehow useful to them. Mm. But we want to make sure we push them well past that to say, yeah, it, it is useful. And it's actually useful because it's true and it's beautiful and it's good. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, that's the kind of things come to mind as I read these, a lot of these um, secular writers who are positive about religion. Yeah, and it's also interesting how we talked about the evangelism episode and especially off some of the Barna research that we had of that people were even Christians were wanting to share the gospel and felt equipped to do so but thought they couldn't because they were too worried about the reaction mm. they would get from talking about it. Mm. But then reading this or reading this actual uh, article saying that you should actually check out religion it's actually really good. It's like it's very it's very much that um, uh, battle of ideas that you're talking about, Stu, whether it is the uh, anti-humanist, what was it, transhumanist uh, and uh, anti-humanist, anti-natal, oh, yeah, natalist, yeah. those kind of movements or there's, 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 we've also talked about how religion is almost seen as dangerous yep. now, that's another yep. thing, but then we've got these writers who are non-Christian saying, actually you should check it out, so it's quite, it's interesting how it's, it's quite uh, a bit of turmoil in regards to talking about that, I think you might be right, Stu, in terms of it's kind of the end of Christendom and people are looking for somewhere else to actually fill mm. 
something that kind of formed the basis of a lot of, of our societies for a long time, especially in the West. So it's quite interesting. Um, we did talk about, Ethan and I talked a lot about friendship. Most of the, the episode mm. that we did was basically about friendship, and I know that's something we're pretty passionate about as well. So there was a couple of things I wanted to bring to your attention. One was from uh, David Perrell's uh, article again. He said, spend at least 20% of your social time with people who are at least a decade older than you. And family members do not count. <laughs> so don't aim for mentorship, aim for two-way exchange of value. So you'll bring the vision and energy and they'll give you wisdom and opportunities, which is... Sounds like the shock of <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to write my PhD, it's already been done. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> cool. um, I'll just drink up to uni. Well, that's, exactly, that's exactly why I, hi- I highlighted it. But also, I wanted to um, recently uh, study from... This is in America, but it said it was from the AEI Survey Centre on American Life and also by Gallup as well, the other um, survey uh, corporation or a company. And it said that it's saying, this is an illustrated uh, article from Vox, and it's saying that the US is experiencing a friendship recession and American men have been hit the hardest. And it says that the percentage of men with at least six close friends fell by half between 1990 and 2021, which is really quite interesting. And mm. I thought I'll throw it over to you, Stu, to see what you think about those two things that I've talked about. And we mm. can keep going on it about going on as we discuss it. But what are your initial reactions to that? Oh, wow. That's a whole <laughs> podcast, isn't it? Yeah, like, it is. Such a massive topic. We need to tide it over to the next episode as well. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe we could go and revisit it again next episode. But I think it's really fascinating. I think it's, uh, it's interesting that the fastest growing household in Australia, not America, but Australia, is people living alone. Mm. And that's a general trend. I think in general, the more we become dependent on technology, the less human relationships we need. So before the Industrial Revolution, 75% of people lived in villages. So there wasn't a loneliness epidemic mm-hmm. in that context. And if you look at how the Industrial Revolution has spread right across the world, everywhere it goes, there's a migration from the villages to the cities. Because new technologies replace farmers on the land and new technologies in the cities create needs for factory workers and and for service industries and other things. So uh, in England, the first place to get the Industrial Revolution uh, in the late 1700s, there was a huge migration almost overnight where uh, we saw huge numbers of people move to cities and create slums and a great deal of social problems. And in some ways, the... The, the colony that got sent to Sydney, Australia, was uh, filled with convicts that were people who were stealing and some mm. of the f- stuff they were stealing was like loaves of bread just to survive. So they were transported to Australia for stealing a loaf of, bl- of bread. Um, that was in part due to the breakdown of the social infrastructure in the society in general because of the huge migration from the villages to the cities. So... What I think you've seen over the last few hundred years is that community degradation has continued as technology has become more and more powerful. So in the early days, um, old people and young people needed each other out of economic necessity. So the old people had the wisdom of when to plant and where to plant and what to plant, and the young people had the, the strength to, to do a lot of the farm work. So the two generations needed each other. But now new technology is more valuable than old technology. So we don't need old people anymore. And so we have a, a recession in, in that intergenerational relationships are not economically necessitated anymore. And so we don't actually find ourselves in proximity with people of different ages like 
would have happened in pre-industrial societies. And when you look around the world today, there are still some pre-industrial societies that look a lot like what it would have looked like in England in the 1700s, where people live together and there's a village bringing up children together. And um, But more and more, as the Industrial Revolution sweeps across the globe, more of those societies are becoming like Australia, where individual life is possible without other people, because I, I get what I need from technology uh, and machines, not from other people. So I think, I think human beings have been industrialised in this new industrial environment. And as we've become industrialised, our humanness is not necessarily our defining characteristic as much as it used to be. So we were a lot more in tune with the rhythms of the day got up in the morning when the sun came up, went to bed soon after the sun went down because candles weren't great at you know, helping <laughs> yeah. us to read and stuff. Now electric lights come along, we can stay up as long as we want. Uh, then there's the seasons. You know, We used to plant in a season and gather in a season and then go without in a season. And then there was bounty again. So we used to have a celebration in the churches called Thanksgiving where people would bring from the abundance of the harvest and we'd have a harvest festival in communities and celebrate that kind of stuff but now we don't celebrate that kind of thing because we just go to Coles and if figs are out of out of um season season in sydney you just buy californian figs and (laughs) they're just you just always eat figs Mm. so i like figs so anyway but when it comes to men so i think men are a part of that overall picture Mm. where men and women are uh, more isolated than we have been in the past but then I think it would be really interesting to have a think about what it, what's causing men to have fewer friends in particular too. Like what are the ethnographic um, characteristics of male populations of industrialised societies that have caused them to become more isolated from each other. Mm. Um, there, are, there are some interesting things I've heard over the years. Um, one thing that comes to mind is someone said to me once that that a lot of guys like to talk while they walk, for example, or they like to build a relationship around doing things. Doing something. Mm. I don't know. There's there's a lot of guys who really like gaming because they don't have to look into the face of the other person. They mm. can just talk to them. And they're gaming because they're doing something together. So on the outside, it just looks like this person sitting in their room by themselves. But that actually may be a version of male uh, companionship that, that is quite ancient. Mm. Um, so I, I think it'd be really interesting to unpack some of that sort of stuff. Yeah. But um, I don't think it's as valuable as being with someone though. Like you can talk to them on the internet, but it's not as powerful. Um, yeah, I mean, they're stereotypes too maybe, but yeah, there's some of the thoughts that I've had. Mm. But but in general, I think our whole society is more individualistic and we've lost that connection between each other and particularly between generations, mm. yeah. And I, yeah, no, I think they're all really good, interesting points, and I think this will tie it over to the next episode because I think we're we're sl- slowly running out of time. But Tim, I'll throw out a couple more things, and you can have a reaction to that too. Is that one in five single men say they have no close friendships? That was one thing, and then research also shows that social isolation can weaken the immune system and make someone more likely to suffer from a variety of ailments, and at least some of them: Alzheimer's, inflammation, diabetes, cancer, things like that. Um. And I think it is something worthwhile talking about. Um, you mentioned Jordan Peterson before. He's gained a lot of attention from men because of he's actually telling mm. they've the people that enjoy what he's saying, he's actually telling men what to do, which they, maybe some men feel like they actually need to know what how they need to live their lives. What do you think about 
that and, and also we can talk about the intergenerational idea that um, Perel suggested as well. What, what were you, any, any thoughts that come to mind? Yeah, I think, um, again, when you see that not having friendships can affect your immune system, hmm. uh, I think, yeah, that just powerfully speaks to the way that God has created us as social beings. Hmm. And so, again, it's just another one of those things. For, for me, when I've got my Christian worldview goggles on I just go oh of course that makes sense like it it just has explanatory power that makes sense of the way that God has created us to be so um, that's kind of the the lens that I come to when I see a lot of these things Um, but yeah it makes sense that uh, we if we are suffering from lack of relationality that it would um, it's not just our relationships that suffer as our bodies that suffer as well because we're, we're made to be integrated yeah. people. Um, I certainly think that in terms of the not having friends, uh, I, yeah, I, I can see that being the case. I mean, I don't know where this research comes from, and but I'll take it at face value. Um, but if that's true that, you know, one in five guys, that's 20% of the male population don't have mm. a close friendship, uh, that's really sad. Uh, and... Um, part of, I guess, the answer to that is going to be creating spaces where friendships can flourish um, and can uh, happen. And I know that um, Stu's been really influenced by um, the third place writer whose name I've just suddenly forgotten. Oldenburg. Oldenburg. Um, And um, the other writer um, who writes Bowling Alone, trying to think of his name, Putnam. Um, Robert Putnam uh, talks, both of them, uh, sort of interrogate the rise of suburban culture in post-war um, America particularly, but very similar in Australia, where the loss of social spaces where friendships can foster. And so the idea of third place is yeah, you have your home, which is your first space, your work, which is your second space, and your third place is the place that you choose to go to, and that's particularly where friendships mm. are formed. Mm. Um, now, of course, with the rise of digital all those are kind of blurring and uh, it's i'm sure there are people who have written on that yeah they call it third space theory third space theory so yeah third yeah. place theories about the physical environment yep. third space theories about the digital yes yeah and, and then also the blurring of the spaces because yeah, you, know, you work right. from home and you you create friendships while sitting in the same study where you were you know feeding your kid their food and also typing your emails. So there's a whole lot of blurring that's happened now, because, again, because of industrialization. That's a really good point. COVID's brought that on heaps, hasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Well, that's fast-tracked to a greater degree as well. Um, but the, the whole theme of those writers, Putnam and um, others, is that you, you've you deconstructed these spaces where people actually choose to go. Uh, and finding relationality in the third spaces, so in digital world, um, is uh, a little bit of a, a bait and switch that it feels like you are having strong friendships because you, with all of your niche interests, uh, can have conversations with a whole lot of people who also share your niche interests. Um, so one of my little niche interests is that I really love uh, late 90s, early 2000s Christian music. Um, and there's not many people... Um, here at church that were really deeply enmeshed 
in that subculture in the same way that I really enjoyed and I found a lot of value out of. Um, and then just recently over the last um, month and a bit, there's a guy running these Twitter polls about Christian artists and whole, all of the stuff that he's putting out there is about this kind of 90, late 90s, early 2000s Christian music. Because he's about my age, so he was listening to the same records. And there's, um, there's a false sense where I can feel actually closer to him um, mm. and the people who are commenting on his feed, because a lot of us have these shared experiences. Mm. We were listening to the same albums. We have the same passion for this really album, which, yeah, sounds dumb now 30 years later. was actually really critical to our teenage selves or whatever it was. Like, And, we, yeah, you can share all these stories, and I can feel very close to these people. Um, but uh, it's, it's a bit of a, a bait and switch in that I'm not actually close to them. Um, Actually, I'm closer to you guys because we have incarnate relationships with each other um, because uh, neither of you guys were deeply enmeshed in late 90s Christian music. Um, and so it, it's a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> MXPX. MXPX is lots of fun. Um, so, Mixpix. sorry? MXPX. MXPX, yep. Newsboys, Audio Adrenaline. Um, but he, they're... It's not the interest that actually draws us close together. It's the, um, what we say at church, it's, it's Christ who draws us together. It's the cross. Um, and he has put us into relationship together. Um, and so the incarnate relationships that I have with people here at church um, are deeper than these surface-level conversations. Um, but if we do have a whole lot of men who are not in these third spaces who are actually engaged in incarnational relationships and they only find relationality through these kind of online spaces, whether it's through gaming or social media or other things like that, um, then there is a, 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 it seems to be relationality, it seems to be friendship, but it has no substance to it um, and therefore it's not going to have all the same benefits as these sort of incarnate relationships it's funny that that that's those spaces you join can call you away from the physical places that you that you get that's right real absolutely. relationship from like um i play a, an iphone game where there's a team that you join and you're part of a team and then they're, they're working together on on this project where they're all working together and it's it's really interesting that on the chat they're all calling each other out of the real world back to the game they're like you're letting us down you're not contributing and there's guys writing things like but i'm at work or i'm seeing my kids play or yeah we'll just you know play the game for half an hour so that you can help us to achieve this goal and i'm like wow there's all these people in this team that are actually not spending time talking to their children and their wives and their friends so that they can be playing this game to achieve points together so that they can say that they have a really good win. And I find that fascinating. So they're actually calling people out of the real world to come yeah. back, come back all the time. And there's a certain sense where the that game is more real to them than their yeah, yeah. actual physical And those people are all over the world. Like yeah. I happen to have joined a team that's in England and so they even sleep at different times. So they're <laughs> hacking on me for going to bed. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going I'm to go to bed, eh? Like, <laughs> actually, I live on the other side of the world and the sun's not up right now. Mm. But, um, but then when the sun is up, other people are like, you know, oh, I've got to go on a holiday. Well, that's going to let us down if you go on a holiday. So they get demoted <laughs> in the team and they, yeah, right. they they get promoted the more they – very interesting. So I'm sure people are getting endorphin hits from all that feedback they're getting from these people and it feels like real relationships, but these people don't even know each other. Mm. But I mean, I'm not discounting that you can't have, you know, genuine relationships though with people that you don't hang out with all the time. I mean, you look back in the old days, people used to write letters to each other and they have really intimate relationships with other people – 
on the other side of the world and they sent a letter and that you know so in some ways technology emulates that a little bit but but I think it's very interesting when someone gets sucked into that world and they're not actually present in the physical world. Yeah, as and much. I think that raises the conversation about well, why is that happening? Mm. And we talked about the, mm, it's a good point. the men having a lack of friendships and all that kind of thing. It's that it's seen, and we talked about that the capitalism, the pursuit of more, is that it's oh, this. If you just have more of this, you will get what you want. Yeah, and good and point. In a sense, that's sexually not. And I suppose it's probably time to wrap it up. But it's cool that we keep talking about this. I think. But um, I was really struck by. You were talking about capitalism earlier, Tim. But if we keep circling back to Jesus, that regardless of what's going on with that uh, battle of ideas or um, the the difficulties in ma- men are having with friendships, whatever ideas or worries and concerns there there are, it's that we can actually look at them as gospel opportunities. You talked about ministry, but mm. like all of that are, good point. are gospel mm. opportunities. I think. And yeah, it's a good point. That's what I've learned from you guys today. So I think that's been. Uh, really important and I think a really good way to look at it is it, again what we talked about in evangelism like holding that evangelical line and saying mm. that the gospel is the truth mm. and that's where we start we're all reconciled mm. again that's another thing we talk about we're all reconciled to each other thanks to Jesus mm. and we're also reconciled to God so then how do we approach these opportunities in that in that way so I think that's really good whether it's church or whether it's mm. I don't know friendship or whatever it is but that's that's the thing we keep circling back to so mm. I think it's been a really good discussion. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Consider Uh, you both very dear friends. Oh, thank you very much. (laughs) You too. So uh, uh, we'll continue the discussion. I mean, next week we'll do the same thing. Um, We'll keep talking about these things. And I think we've got to delve more into the friendship idea and Mm. and, uh, in particular male friendship. There's a lot of things to talk about there. So we'll wrap it up with that. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Stu. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. I, looked at, I looked at Tim and then I said, thank you, Stu. <laughs> so I was feeling a bit confused. However, uh, if you do have any other questions, if you have anything that you'd like us to address or to touch on, you can hmm. email me at joel at shogglesorba.com.au and we'll definitely bring it up um, to actually look at it through that gospel lens, as we were saying. Uh, having said that, make sure you're subscribed on your favourite podcast app or on YouTube if you are not already. And as always, we finish with a one-way. 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 One way.